Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Kellen and I are both really excited about this week's interview. Our guest is an expert in a topic that Kellen and I are most definitely not experts in, which is something that you'll discover by listening to the episode, and that is pop culture and the role that pop culture plays in our understanding of collapse. This is something that's been discussed widely on the R Collapse subreddit, whether or not it's appropriate to use works of fiction to either describe, teach, or compare to collapse. And so it was great for us to be able to have a discussion with our guest today and get some answers to those questions. Our guest is Daniel J. Kim. He goes by the pen name Pop Mythologist. He is the founder and editor of the pop culture blog popmythology.com. He's also co-author of a chapter in the book Black Panther Psychology, and he regularly appears on pop culture podcasts and discussion panels at comic conventions as both a panelist and a moderator. Currently, he's the host of a new podcast called This Is The End, Pop Culture and Collapse, which is a great podcast that both Kellen and I have had the chance to listen to, in which he uses pop culture to help raise collapse awareness among those who might otherwise avoid the topic. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the interview. Okay, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today. We are, uh, we are really excited about this. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor because I'm such a huge fan of your podcast. You have no idea. <laughs> well, we love we love to hear that. It's not often that we have guests on the podcast who have listened to it. We had Haven uh, McVarish a few weeks ago that had mentioned he'd listened to it. I think you're the second. Um, and it's it's cool to hear that um, that you've listened to it and liked it. Oh, I listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you uh, you actually have a podcast um, of your own, and I thought maybe we could start the interview by by talking about that. So your podcast is called This Is The End, Pop Culture and Collapse. And Kellen and I have actually um, listened to your podcast before, and we highly recommend it. It was one of the main reasons that we wanted to um, get you on the show with us today. But uh, maybe talk to us a little bit about what that podcast is about and what inspired you to to make it happen. Yeah, so the podcast is actually an extension in a lot of ways of my blog. So maybe I should talk about the blog a little bit first. Please, okay. yeah. All right. So my blog is popmythology.com. And I've had that blog for about the last 10 years now. And so it's in some ways like other pop culture blogs in the sense that we do have reviews. Um, on occasion, we have interviews and things of that nature. But from the get-go... 
I always wanted to have a unique angle. So I have a column on it called Hero Wisdom. And on that column, what I've always tried to do is use pop culture to discuss what, for me, were very important, urgent societal issues. Um, actually, and not just societal, but personal issues, because I try to address real-life issues at both the personal level and the societal level. And on the personal level, I would mainly use the lens of psychology, sometimes spirituality and comparative religion. And on the societal level, I would mainly approach it through the lens of the social sciences, which are like what I would consider kind of like my background or my specialty. So sociology, anthropology, again, comparative religion and things of that nature. And there was also a component of it that was kind of what you might call motivational writing, but not motivational writing like someone like Tony Robbins, where it's like, yeah, you can do anything you want. You can achieve everything, have everything you want. Because I actually find that really problematic in all kinds of ways, especially if we're talking about things in terms of collapse. But this was a different kind of motivational writing. My audience was different. My audience, I envision as struggling people, you know, people basically like me, people who found daily life a struggle in various ways. And so I sought to kind of lift them up through the knowledge and wisdom that I've been fortunate enough to be able to be exposed to and to try to help them just cope with daily living, daily struggles, and ideally to come out of their adversities and struggles as a deeper, more fully formed human being. And so that was the blog. I did that for about 10 years. And I'm kind of like Kellen, like between the two of you, I'm a bit more like Kellen in that I'm relatively newer to collapse. But like Kellen, even though I'm newer to it, I feel like I'm able to bring my own unique perspectives and contributions to it. So like Corey, you've been at this a while. You've known about this a while. You've researched a lot. And that enables you to really explain collapse to people who are new at it in a way that is really lucid, accessible, and coherent, right? So that's, I think that's just awesome. And it's brilliant that you made this podcast, your podcast, have the format where it's the two of you, because Kellen also brings his wonderful perspective to it. Like, I really enjoyed the recent episode, um, I think it was titled, Why They Say We're Wrong, or something like that, or Why We're Wrong, right? And I really felt like Kellen's voice there, like that was his kind of perspective and contribution where he was saying, we need to keep challenging ourselves. We need to keep asking ourselves the hard questions and really considering the legitimate and also not so legitimate criticisms towards this community, the Collapse Aware community. So I am newer in that sense as well, but I also bring something really unique and something that's different. And so the podcast, um, it's a newer podcast. It's, it hasn't been around that long, but again, it's an extension of the blog in the sense that I try to use pop culture to discuss a real life issue, in this case, collapse. But when I look back, even though I'm relatively newer to collapse awareness, I can see how all the pieces were being laid down over the years. You know, like the elements were falling into place and collapse awareness was like the big awakening of aha, like the light bulb going off and just seeing how everything tied together in this big picture. So on the podcast, I use pop culture to approach collapse, but I do so very broadly in ways that like a lot of the books and articles on collapse don't necessarily do, such as, for example, how collapse manifests in our individual personal lives, which is one of the things that pop culture, in this case, specifically fiction, is able to do in the way that I feel like say, you know, nonfiction and journalism struggles with, you know, it, it, it casts a window into the private lives of people in ways that even journalism can't, because at the end of the day, reporters got to go home. You know, you don't really get the most intimate private moments of people's lives, but fiction enables you to do that, which builds empathy and compassion. And, you know, I'll get more into like the benefits of using pop culture a little bit later, as well as the dangers. But that's really something unique that stories specifically in pop culture in general can do, where it allows you to build empathy and compassion, which is something we really, really, really need right now. And this is why one of my favorite guys, one of my favorite novelists, Stephen King, once put it, and I quote, fiction 
is the truth inside the lie. And it's just one of my favorite quotes because I agree with it so much. Well, Daniel, I love those insights. And I think it's a brilliant idea, the podcast, right? To be able to talk about collapse through the lens of pop culture and fiction. I really enjoyed the episodes that I've listened to. And I actually want to mention a couple of things that I really like about it. Um, one of the things I love about your podcast, this sounds kind of silly, but we are terrible on breaking down collapse at knowing how to end our episodes. And I just love that you say at the end of it, each episode, you say, I'm the pop mythologist. This is the end. And that's how it ends, which is so clever because that's the name of the podcast. So kind of a silly nitpicky thing, but I, I just love it. Thank you, because I really get a kick out of that as well. And you're right. It is such a small and silly thing in some ways. But uh, yeah, I have fun with it every episode when I say that. Yeah, I'm kind of upset that you took that, that you uh, that you thought of it and I didn't because I, I do at the end of every episode, I end up saying some, something real stupid like, like, see you next week. And I don't see any of these people and they don't see me. So, <laughs> so you've come up with a good tagline there. That's awesome. To your own credit, you guys do have an equally cool title in a different way because when you're breaking down collapse, that is exactly what you're doing. You're breaking it down for people. I just think that's awesome. It's fun to kind of compare podcasts and, and we don't get the opportunity to do that very much. Another thing that I'll just say that I really appreciate from your podcast, your very first episode, I think you call it episode zero, but you give a definition of collapse. And, you know, for me, since I am newer to all of this, I remember when Corey talked to me and said, Hey, here's some definitions of collapse. It's reducing complexity you know, and, and gave some other definitions. I, I still felt like it was a little bit vague and you gave a lengthier definition that makes it very clear. Uh, in fact, I've written it down. It says collapse is a slow, gradual process of increasing instability and breakdown of social order, social systems, institutions, and infrastructures caused by a combination of numerous ecological, economic, societal, and political factors such that on one hand, the people of the given society have increasing difficulty securing their needs. And on the other hand, the institutions of that society are increasingly unable to help them to secure those needs. And, and that is about as clear as you can possibly be if you're trying to give somebody a picture of what collapse is. I'd love to hear, do you have any additional thoughts on that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that basically sums it up. You know, I feel like a definition should be as long as it takes to make it clear enough, at least. It doesn't have to be 100% clear in every way, but clear enough to get someone interested in saying, oh, yeah, tell me more. You know, that's all it needs to be. And no more longer than that. So I try to make that definition just long enough so that you know, I had enough word and space to convey what I was trying to convey, but no longer than that, because again, the whole point of a definition, well, not in every situation, but in this situation, was simply to get people to say, oh, well, that kind of makes sense. And, and that's really interesting. You want to tell me a little bit more or do you want to point me to some sources where I can read more about it? So I would actually leave it at that and not add anything to it because I feel like to add more to it might unnecessarily add complexity, <laughs> which is what collapse is about, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Well said. One other thing that I'm just going to throw out there about your podcast that I liked, and then I promise we'll stop complimenting you. Um, I really no, enjoyed, go on. Go on, <laughs> we'll be here all day. Um, I really liked being a solo podcaster. Um, that is not easy. And you portray everything very clearly and very engaging. And um, to the point that while I was listening to it, I didn't keep thinking like, like, oh, where's the other, where's the other person to add to this conversation? I never thought that. Um, but you also do very well when you do interviews. So like in your V for Vendetta um, episode, I really loved the format of that episode and the interview was fascinating. So just another, uh, just another compliment to throw at you there. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that because part of the purpose of doing those interviews, well, there are numerous reasons for doing it, but part of it is to switch up the potential monotony of a monologue slash solo podcast. And like you said, there are some challenges to doing a monologue podcast and monotony is one of them or potential monotony. 
um, not in terms of like the topic necessarily, but just the voice. I mean, even just on an aesthetic level, it helps to have the changing of the voices and the perspectives and things like that. And on the other hand, when you do a monologue podcast, you can really get in depth into certain kinds of points that you want to emphasize or clarify. And so I like alternating between doing those solo episodes with the interview episodes where it's not just me talking. In fact, I tend to try to be as kind of quiet as possible in those interviews where I'm only stepping in to ask the question that I get out of the way. And I want to let the other guests speak as much as possible. And to get not only just their different perspectives on different issues that are either directly or indirectly related to collapse in some way, and also just to, again, switch it up aesthetically, get that different voice in, get the different feeling in, things like that. So, yeah, but I appreciate that you noticed that. Well, I guess um, moving beyond just the podcast itself a little bit, um, you had alluded to earlier some of the benefits of using pop culture and fiction works in talking about or teaching about or learning about collapse. Um, so I'd be interested to hear both some of the benefits and the dangers um, from your perspective. Yeah, and I would actually like to begin with some of the risks and dangers, if I may. Sure, yeah. Yeah, so I think about this a lot because I want to make sure that what I'm doing is helpful and not kind of sabotaging the cause, if you will, in any kind of way. And I've thought about it and I've thought about it and I try to be honest with myself and I've kind of identified a small handful of dangers and there may be more if I think more on it, but at the moment, these are the ones that I can identify as being most significant. So the first one has to do with trying to use pop culture and fiction as a way to forecast what collapse is going to look like. And I think actually, if we do it amongst ourselves within the Collapse Aware community, it's fine. It's not so much a problem so long as you're doing it just for fun. If you're doing it to actually try to predict for yourself, then that's also an issue. But if you're doing it just for fun, it's fine. The problem is on communities such as the Collapse subreddit on Reddit, the conversations are public and people can see that. And people new to the subreddit can see that. So for example, if someone were to say, hey, have you read that novel, The Road? or seen the movie, I think that's what collapse is going to look like. Well, to that, I would say it might look like that, but really none of us have any idea. And also, what do we mean by collapse when we're saying that? Because the world depicted in the road is a deeply apocalyptic one. I mean, the earth is literally dead at that point. And to me, collapse is something that would happen as a really slow, gradual process long before then. I mean, I feel like that's like post-post-collapse is what we see in the road, you know, if even it were to take that shape and form. So even if we aren't trying to actually use pop culture to pre predict what collapse is going to look like, perception, perception is everything. So if other people think that's what we're trying to do, then that's still a problem. That's why when I talk about this stuff, I frequently make a point of saying, yes, there are some ways in which it's very useful to use pop culture to talk about collapse, but please don't misunderstand. I am not using this or that movie or TV show or novel as a, as a way to say that this is what collapse is going to look like. And I think just pointing that out is one way to reduce that danger and risk. Um, and this kind of leads to uh, the next danger, which is actually related, and it has to do with credibility. So one of the ongoing challenges faced by anyone who is collapse aware and who believes, as you and I do, that it's better to talk about it than to not talk about it is credibility. And just like you guys were saying in the Why We're Wrong episode, there are some legitimate forms of criticism and some that are not as legit or not as valid. And we don't want to give, let's say, maybe skeptical people or people who are resistant any ammunition to, like, any more reason to try to discredit the collapse aware communities, right? And so if we talk too much about pop culture in relation to collapse, there's a risk of appearing to be out of touch with reality, you know, many of us are very much in touch with reality. In fact, we, we might feel that we're a little more in touch with reality than a lot of people in the population. But perception, again, is everything. So we don't want to give folks the idea that we're just living in this fantasy world where you watch too many movies 
and we think that reality itself is the movie. So I'm going to pause there. As I want to, I'm interested in hearing what you guys think about that. Yeah, I think you make some really good points. It feels to me kind of like a double-edged sword where on one hand, being able to like watch a movie that depicts some aspect of collapse helps us to make it more real. Uh, it helps us to even better understand collapse in some ways. And at the same time, uh, we, we have to step back from that and recognize, like you said, that we, we can't paint that perception or that visualization or that depiction as a forecast of exactly what we're going to see. Yeah. And I'd say that it's a temptation to do that, right? You watch a movie like The Road or you read the book and someone you know is is curious about collapse and, and what are you talking about when you say collapse? And, you know, you say something like, well, go watch The Road and, and that's what it's going to be. And th there's a potential for that, like you said, to do harm in, in a few different ways. Um, you could completely turn them off to the idea. You could cause an unnecessary amount of anxiety. You also cause in them permanently to think that, that that's your vision of the future. And it may not be exactly that. There may be aspects of that movie or that book that really hit close to you regarding collapse and, and what you think collapse might be like, but you're giving the entire movie over to someone saying every detail of this is what I'm talking about. And, and that can cause, that can cause problems. Corey, you just touched upon a point that I actually didn't think about until just now. And that is the danger of potentially scaring people off, not people within the collapse aware community, but people who are not collapse aware yet, who could potentially be if introduced to the material in the right kind of way, but you just kind of like go at them. And you're like, watch the road, man, that that's going to be collapsed. And they watch and they freak out because man, that's a scary vision in that novel, in that film. You know, there's some really horrendous, disturbing scenes. So if, you know, a lot of people, again, there's also the credibility issue, be like, oh, come on, give me a break, you know, like stop dreaming. But there are other people who will take that seriously, be like, oh my God, they'll freak out. They'll want to do what people naturally want to do when they're scared, which is turn away from it and pay attention, you know, pay attention to something else. So that's a really good point as well. Great. So you've discussed some of the risks and I think those are very valid. I don't know if you have additional risks that you see, uh, but I'd, I'd love to hear as well those benefits that you alluded to before. What is the benefit in using pop culture and fiction to talk about collapse? Yeah, absolutely. So I have one more danger I want to talk about, and it's going to lead naturally into what I think the benefits, which are significant, are. So the last danger I want to mention has to do with potential distraction. So I think that pop culture can be useful to talk about collapse up to a point. Beyond that point, I think that it can become a distraction in numerous ways. So for example, if people watch, let's say, like The Walking Dead, and then let's say there's an episode or an issue, because it's also a comic book, so let's say there's an issue of the comic book where there are characters living in a bunker. And if people use that as an occasion to then debate what would be the best kind of bunker setup to protect themselves during a deep collapse. Again, if you're just doing it for fun, that's fine. But if it's a serious discussion, in my opinion, that's a distraction. Because again, we don't know what deep collapse will look like. And I say deep collapse to distinguish between like the later stages of collapse or the earlier or middle stages of collapse, which in my opinion, we're already in. So because we don't know what deep collapse would look like, it's not very useful to debate whether a bunker setup you saw on The Walking Dead is good mitigation for a collapse or not. That attention and time, in my opinion, would be much better served talking about how to fight against collapse in numerous ways, such as climate change, activism, climate action, and to be more prepared and self-sufficient in a number of ways so that if we do go deeper and deeper into collapse, then no matter what it might look like, we can be more resilient because there are certain kinds of resilience that set you up in such a way where there's a whole range of scenarios where you'll just be better prepared. But regarding this point of distraction, that leads me actually to what I think is one of the benefits. So the first benefit has to do with, you know, even though pop culture can be a major source of distraction, we have to understand why it can be a distraction. 
And there are numerous reasons, but one of those reasons is because it provides people with some very important needs, especially as certain societal problems have gotten worse and may potentially get worse and people's lives have just gotten harder and harder, the need for coping mechanisms deepens. And in psychology, they often talk about, you know, positive coping mechanisms and negative coping mechanisms. Certain forms of coping have the ability to be both positive and negative. In my opinion, just about anything can be negative if you do too much. So like even exercise, for example, which is universally seen as a healthy coping mechanism. If you overdo it, you can suppress your immune system and cause all kinds of problems. And just like that, pop culture is capable of being a positive coping mechanism. But beyond a certain point, it can be unhealthy and it can be a distraction from the more important issues that we really urgently need to be focusing on. And not only that, from a collapse perspective, there are some really important issues that people should know about where it's up to them what they want to do with information, like if anything, but they should have that choice and they can only have that choice if they're aware, right? Unfortunately, you know, it's not just pop culture. Our entire modern world is like this giant matrix of distractions. So for a person who wants to help make others more collapse aware, what is that person to do? Well, especially because we're living in a world that says, don't look up, right? That's an obvious reference and allusion to the wonderful film that just came out recently. And from my perspective, what I'm trying to do is say, okay, that's okay. You don't want to look up. Don't look up. It's okay to look at the screen instead for now. And hey, look at that. Isn't that a cool story? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? What do you think about the spice in Dune? What does it represent? What do you think about the way the great houses are fighting over control of the spice and how that makes life for the Fremen more difficult? So essentially, you're using the very source of distraction or potential distraction to bring the attention back to those urgent and important issues. That is really well said. And I think it touches on something really important because we often mention bread and circuses and uh, all the ways in which people are distracted from the real problems that are, are going on around them. And yet I love that you've talked about ways you can actually utilize that and kind of turn it into a method for helping somebody uh, better understand or, or get introduced to the concepts of the factors uh, associated with collapse. Yeah, it's all about intent. Because you can use a circus to just purely distract. But if your intention is to use the circus to inform and awaken, then you can slip stuff in there, right? Just a spoonful of, how does it go? The sugar, was it? <laughs> a spoonful, a spoonful of sugar of helps sugar the medicine. medicine go down, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, another benefit, I think, of pop culture is the potential reach, right? Because collapse is not a mainstream topic. But pop culture is not only mainstream, it's mega huge. So huge, in fact, that it's almost like a modern day alternative religion, which is a point that I can get to a little bit later because I think about that a lot. But pop culture is big, not just culturally, but it's also big business, which can be potentially problematic. And that's where we get into the whole distraction stuff, right? Because these businesses' interest is just to make money. They don't care if you're awake or aware of anything. They just want you to watch, 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 and read, 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 and whatever, you know? Um, so the business element of it and the cultural element of it can keep feeding into each other, making potentially the distraction bigger, but also potentially making your reach wider and farther if you have the intention of trying to use it to help inform people and educate them and empower them. So you can reach a lot of people you otherwise wouldn't be able to reach just by talking about collapse itself, which often, as you guys know, as everyone in the Reddit community knows, has the opposite effect. People turn away from it. They run away from it. It feels like the, the distraction piece of these, uh, these works of art, they're, they're necessary in that, you know, I, I think of a movie that just simply de depicts a dreary world and doesn't put in the sort of, you know, maybe out there plot, it may not have as much reach. It may not be as entertaining a film. 
it's sort of this idea of a boring dystopia, right? Collapse in the future is, is just kind of bleak and dreary. Um, and a film that is just those things um, is not going to, to do very well, go very far. So Daniel, you mentioned, um, you know, The Walking Dead obviously has um, a lot of distractions in it, especially just in regards to the main plot, which is zombies, you know, something that's not super realistic. You think of other films like The Hunger Games, for example, where it, it does a really good job at painting this picture of a collapsed world. But the main story is about children murdering each other in an arena, you know, and so if you can get around sort of that main distraction and let it allow, you know, allow you to create and have a conversation about the backstory and what's going on, how it got that way and compare that to real life. I can see how that could be really powerful. Um, I think we are not great at, at having um, good imaginations around what collapse might be like. And so I think these works of fiction really help to allow us to open up our understanding and see what the potential futures could be. Yeah, absolutely. And I have just a couple more points about the benefits that I would like to make. Uh, one of them has to do with this word fun, right? I think the word and the concept fun gets kind of a bad rap at times. Like people think that means it's not serious, you know, it's frivolous. But I would argue that fun is really serious business indeed. And right now, it's potentially a life or death matter, actually, when it comes to things like climate change and collapse, because if we can't find ways to make this material, quote unquote, fun, or at least engaging and interesting for people without being too scary at the same time, they're going to go look for something fun somewhere else, because it's a legitimate human need. You know, we can criticize it all we want as being, you know, shallow or seeking distractions, but there's a psychological reason for that. It's a human need. And so if we don't provide ways to engage people in interesting and yes, fun ways with some of this material, at least as an introduction, you know, we don't have to do it all the time, but to get them interested, if we don't make it fun, then they'll go elsewhere. And corporations understand this. Corporations understand the need for people to have fun and they use it with intent and calculation. So if we're not going to be able to, well, we're not going to be able to change that aspect of human nature overnight, right? So we have to work with it. We either work with it or we'll be drowned out by the corporations who do work with it and the noisemakers who also work with it. So we need to work with human psychology instead of against it, which is something that activists, unfortunately, often tend to do. And I am myself an activist, so I'm not trying to knock them, but we need to better understand human psychology. And um, one more just benefit, if I could just quickly add this one in, I think is that stories can be, and this is more about us, those of us in the Collapse Aware community than the general public, but stories can be tremendously motivating and energizing. And this has to do with what I see as a role of stories as modern day mythologies. And I mentioned earlier that I would even go so far as to call them a modern day alternative religion, because what's the core defining trait of a religion? It's not theology, which is what people will think, because there are religions that don't require or even have a theology. Examples of that would be like Theravada Buddhism, philosophical Taoism, and non-theistic Satanism, just to name a few. So theology isn't the defining trait. The defining trait is that religions, all religions, are a system of meaning. And another way of saying that is that they are systems of narratives, stories, basically. And, you know, some people hearing that might take offense at me saying that religions are systems of stories. But I promise you, I mean zero offense. And I am, in my own way, very religious. So when I say religions are stories and stories are religions, I mean that as the highest possible praise. Stories are sacred. They are what provide human beings with meaning and purpose. And that is one of the roles of ancient mythologies for our ancestors, because they lived difficult lives, man. And what got them through it? The stories they told themselves, the stories that held them together as communities that provided a common purpose. You know, this is who we are. This is why we do this. 
this is why we endure and what it all means. And so I mentioned earlier that life is getting harder and harder for a lot of people. And, you know, most of us aren't rich or even well off. Most of us are among the struggling masses. And when you add on top of that, like if you're an activist or if you're someone who's collapse aware, who's trying to help other friends and family members also become aware, that's an uphill battle. And, you know, as someone who considers himself an activist, I'm constantly trying to stave off burnout and frustration. But just like my ancestors, I find that what renews me and rejuvenates me to keep trying is the mythology, the religion of story. So when I watch a movie like Don't Look Up, those of you who haven't seen Don't Look Up, skip ahead 15 seconds because I'm about to say something that might be a spoiler. When that story is over, when that movie is over, I say to myself, all right, Daniel, how dare you complain? Get off your ass and keep going because until you literally die trying, like the heroes in that movie, then you can't give up yet. It's not time to give up yet. So myth has always played that psychological role for humans, and it continues to do so today. And I also think that's one of the big benefits of using pop culture. Yeah, that's a really good, a really good summary of all of the benefits and the dangers. Um, you know, I see people on the subreddit quite often using pop culture. I also see people sort of demonizing the use of pop culture and collapse. Um, but I think there's a, a really solid, happy medium of using it, just making sure that it's being used correctly. So thank you for, for laying those out. I wonder if, I wonder if we can shift and talk a little bit about, you know, you've mentioned a few different works of fiction here, and I'm curious if we could maybe hear some of your favorites or the ones that you feel most closely align with your view of collapse, or at least give what you view is a very um, apt vision of, of what collapse might be like um, for you. Yeah. And, you know, because I had a feeling you guys were going to ask me this and because I'm such a pop culture nerd, I'm constantly thinking about lists anyway, you know, like a top 10 X, Y, Z and whatever. And um, for this one, I was kind of thinking about how to go about it. Um, and instead of like the top 10 or the 10 best collapse movies or anything like that, I thought I'd try something a little different. I thought I would do kind of like variations on a theme, kind of like a playlist. And so these aren't necessarily the quote unquote best works about collapse necessarily. They are very good in my opinion. And at least a few of them would go on, I think my list of, you know, the top 10 all time best collapse fiction or whatever. So um, I, yes, I'm going to share with you this list. And my original intent was to draw equally from different mediums, films, TVs, novels, and even video games. But by the time I put like a title of 10 things together, I realized it was kind of a preponderance of films, but you know, so be it. I just, I didn't want to change it. So I've divided the list into two kinds of works, realistic ones or somewhat realistic in some kind of way. And ones, you know, works that address or approach collapse in more of a symbolic way and not necessarily even intentionally, like it's not necessarily what the filmmakers were trying to do or what the writer was trying to do, but that does capture it in symbolic way. And I think how the way we should go about it is, you know, let's make this fun. I'll kind of do like a countdown of sorts. I'll name each work. I'll throw in a few comments about why I like it so much. And then I'll toss it over to you guys and see if either of you or both of you have either read it or seen it or anything like that and what your thoughts are. And I'm going to generally try to avoid any spoilers just in case there are listeners out there who haven't seen or read any of these works. So how does that sound, guys? That sounds good. I'm a little nervous because I am definitely not as... Um knowledgeable on pop cultures i'm sure you are so i'm i'm guessing that i won't have seen or read many of these but i'm excited to hear what they are all right let's do this okay so for this first work i think all of us in the collapseware community bring to the subject our own interests our own backgrounds and our own areas where we might have some previous knowledge or familiarity for me that's the psychological and social and cultural domains and, you know, there are experts in like the economic and financial areas. And for me, that's the area that's most difficult to get my head around. And so this first work really helps me to grasp at least some concepts, if not all of them, in a very entertaining way. And that film is The Big Short. Okay. And 
it really helps you understand at least some of the factors that led to the 2007-2008 financial crisis, which was really an entire collapse unto itself and could also be seen as a big milestone in the larger ongoing process of catabolic collapse. And it also does a really great job of arousing anger. Like for me, anger is extremely motivating, right? I talked about that point earlier with one of the benefits of pop culture. It's very motivating. So that movie just makes me so righteously angry. And I just get so motivated to go out there and just do something. So, you know, if anyone out there, you feel like you need a shot of motivation and you haven't seen this film yet, watch it, you know, let it bathe you with righteous anger and go out there and do something. What do you, what do you think guys? I agree. I have seen that one. And the, <laughs> the uh, description that you just gave it is, is perfectly valid. It, it, it does fill you with, uh, with absolute anger and, and realizing where these people are coming from, their motivations, and how, how it, we couldn't be more differently aligned. Kellen, have you seen it? I haven't, but I've heard about it. And as you mentioned it, Daniel, I actually looked it up on my phone. And th- there's a little description of it. Uh, and and maybe I can read this and I'll say that it might be a spoiler for somebody who hasn't seen it. Um, But one sentence in the description says, together these men make a fortune by taking full advantage of the impending economic collapse in America. And uh, it makes sense to me why you would bring this up as a a relevant film. Yeah, and, and that definitely wasn't a spoiler, so don't worry. That's literally just part of the plot summary on any website, so you're fine, Kelvin. Nobody's going to come after you with a pitchfork. <laughs> That's great. I'm trying to be sensitive to people that get bothered by spoilers. And and for somebody who hasn't seen the film, uh, I'm I'm glad I didn't ruin it for anybody. Yeah, that's that that's my community there. You're talking about the the nerd community. We do tend to be sensitive to spoilers. All right. So the next work, we started with the societal level meltdown of the financial collapse. Now we're going to zoom in a little bit to see what that effect had on people's lives. So obviously people are diverse. You're not going to be able to show everyone at once. You have to focus on a certain group of people one at a time if it's just going to be one movie or one book. And, you know, if you just see enough of these stories, though, you get a panoramic view of the massive level of suffering caused by the financial collapse. So our next title is Nomadland which gives a glimpse into how because of the 2008 financial collapse, so I'm connecting these works with each other, uh, see what I'm trying to do? Uh, Instead of living off their retirement, these folks, these characters, or collecting social security as they've earned, you know, many of these folks lost their entire life savings. You had many elderly seniors, because that's what this film is about. Instead of living out the life they deserved, they're living out of their vans, they're working their butts off, at an age when they shouldn't be having to do that. Now, this is a great film. My only problem with it is that it kind of romanticizes the nomadic lifestyles of these characters, when in fact, poverty sucks. And these people don't actually want to be living this way. I do think I understand the creative decision to do it this way. I think the writer and director, Chloe Zhao, wanted to avoid poverty porn, you know, like suffering porn. She wanted to imbue these characters with dignity, I think, and she does so successfully. But again, I think the film does overemphasize this lifestyle as like a choice or people wanting to be free. And maybe there's some of that, but really they're just doing this because they have to. Comments? So I haven't seen Nomadland. Uh, It is on my list. It's one that I've heard a lot about and that I I do want to watch. I think it's relatively new. so I'm not going to fault myself too much for not having seen it, but but it definitely sounds interesting and I'll check it out. Yeah, and I'm striking out here. I have not seen it either. I think my goal at this point is to have seen or read at least one of the works that you bring up. Uh, strike two. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, you'll have better luck, I think, with the... Uh, you, you got plenty more. We got, I think, like eight more works to go. Okay, next, we're going to look at, in addition to poverty... Another issue related to collapse that actually doesn't get talked about enough, in my opinion, is substance use disorder. And so our next title is Winter's Bone, starring Jennifer Lawrence in one of her earlier roles. Like Nomadland, this is largely about rural poverty, but it's also 
about how economic downturns and recessions and depressions set ripe conditions for substance use to just take over and destroy entire communities. There's also like this really subtle and interesting allusion in this film to deforestation as also being a destructive force. This is a savagely beautiful country noir film that I chose mostly for its atmosphere and feeling. There's just this feeling of collapse in this film. And uh, maybe an alternative choice that kind of does the same thing is this new TV miniseries on Hulu called Dope Sick, which um, it really makes a good companion piece to the big short in which you witness the sheer moral depravity of greed and the way our government essentially permits that greed to destroy everything in its path. So me and Kellen are kind of chuckling over here as soon as you say the names, because we haven't, we haven't seen that either. <laughs> no worries. Um, I think, yeah, no, I think uh, we'll, we'll get at least a few that you guys have seen. <laughs> I told you I was, I was nervous. We're, we're not big pop culture guys. So this is why we needed to have you on. No worries. No worries. This is not a competition. All right. Moving on from substance use, let's now look at how collapse or specifically climate change affects mental health. Okay. So there's this relatively new branch of psychology called eco-psychology, and it seeks to study the psychological effects of climate change. So you have these concepts like eco-anxiety or eco-trauma, which is a trauma resulting from living in a constant state of existential dread and grief about our climate future. So this next work is the film First Reformed, starring Ethan Hawke and written and directed by Paul Schrader. And true to Paul Schrader, this movie is kind of like Taxi Driver, which Paul Schrader also wrote, but for climate change instead of urban decay. Uh, by any chance, did either guys see this one? I'm not gonna lie, I hadn't even heard of this one. This is the first one that I, I, I hadn't even heard that title before. Yeah, Strike, what is it, four for me? Now, I'm, not, I'm starting to feel bad now. I, start, I feel like I should have chose much more, uh, <laughs> I don't know, popular movies. Helen and but, I are basic. Uh, we, we just watch the, we just watch the <laughs> really mainstream basic stuff. All right. Well, I think you guys might have seen this one because it's, it's, it's an older one. And we're now going to go from rural hell to urban hell. So when we talk about collapse, we sometimes talk about it as if it's this thing that's going to affect us all at the same time, with the exception, of course, of like the wealthy and the powerful who obviously have more of a cushion. But actually, collapse is asynchronous. So people often talk about the 90s as like this golden era of prosperity brought to you by the Clinton administration. But actually, collapse was happening it just wasn't happening for everyone at the same time. And so to illustrate this, the next work is the film Menace to Society. And the people whose lives are represented in this film, like if they were privy to our collapse aware conversations, like they might say something like collapse, shoot, we've been living through collapse since forever. So don't give me any of your collapse is going to happen nonsense. We have been living it and it's never stopped. So this is a movie I feel like should be mandatory viewing in English lit classes at the college level. And students shouldn't just watch it and just leave it at that. They should be required to do research projects and to engage with it deeply. Because I mean, talk about different realities existing in even just the same city. In this case, Los Angeles, LA. And this came out in 1993, one year after the LA riots. So even though it's not about the riots directly, the shadow of the riots, you can definitely feel it in this film. I think that's a, a really interesting and underrated part of Collapse um, that a lot of people don't think about. The fact that Collapse has, it has been actively happening for a large percent of the population um, at a much deeper sort of level than, than we're experiencing it. And by, when I say we're, I just mean you know, not being in the, the really depths of, of poverty. We're in a relatively um, stable place in life. And so it's tempting for a lot of people to say, yeah, like collapse is just fantasy. It's going to happen one day while not realizing that it's happening for many people around the world um, right now. And no, I haven't seen that one. And, and I'll jump in and just say, it makes me think of the part of your definition of collapse, Daniel, in which you say, 
on one hand, the, the people of the given society have increasing difficulty securing their needs. And on the other hand, the institutions of that society are increasingly unable to help them secure those needs. I, I think that's a major part of it. Yeah, it's not an easy movie to watch. I'll be honest. I mean, when I saw that, I saw it in high school in the theater and I felt traumatized <laughs> when I was walking out of the theater. But it's just such an important film. It's a brilliant film and I highly recommend it. This next work, so we've covered financial collapse. We've covered poverty, substance use disorder, mental health, urban violence. Somewhat related to urban violence, Another factor of collapse that I feel like doesn't get discussed nearly enough, especially among Americans, is war. And I think it's partly because even though the U.S. has been in wars, we've never really experienced a war up close, you know, on our shores as civilians. Veterans have and they've gone abroad, but not as civilians on our own shores. And other countries have. And so my next pick is actually a video game that vividly shows you the civilian experience of war and collapse when it comes to your doorstep. It's called This War of Mine, and it's based on the siege of Sarajevo, an urban siege that lasted for years during the Bosnian War. And you play these civilians who are caught between the crossfire of these two opposing sides and who are just in this constant desperate struggle to survive without power, without heat, not enough food and water, and just constantly trying to balance the need to find food, water, medical supplies, while staving off mental and physical fatigue. So anyone in the US, as we've been seeing in the media, who talks about wanting civil war, should play this game, should rethink what they're saying, and what they think they're asking for. You know, it's frustrating to me, particularly in U.S. media, or, or I should say cinema, how romanticized war is. Um, like you said, the U.S. doesn't have much experience with suffering from wars being brought to its own borders, um, you know, by other by other nations. And I I think that's really apt uh, to bring up this this idea that war is hell. And especially for you know the citizens who have to live through it. I haven't played this war of mine. Um, I just recently got a PlayStation, so I'm trying to find good games. So I'll add that one to the list. And Daniel, I'll just say that I love that you've brought up a video game. Uh, I know we've talked a lot about film here, but if you really want somebody to have an experience, what better way than simulating that experience in a video game? I think it's fascinating that this one that you talked about focuses on the civilian experience. I think that's kind of uncommon for video games, but... Uh, I think it's brilliant that you've included that in your list. Yeah, thanks. And Corey, since you just got a PlayStation, this is actually not on my list, but maybe as an honorable mention, you should definitely, I mean, you have to play The Last of Us Part 1 and Part 2 especially. And I could talk about that with respect to Collapse in some ways. I don't want to because it's it's essentially a zombie movie. And again, we're going to run into the kind of dangers I was talking about earlier. But that is a magnificent, brilliant, transformative game, especially part two. I mean, oh, my God. Yeah, you got to so, play Last of Us so, part two. So I'm actually playing The Last of Us right now. I just started it like a week ago. So I'm going to be real slow at it. I don't have a lot of time. My wife doesn't like to sit there and watch me play, especially a game like that. It's a little violent. So, um, I, but, but I'm there and I'm, I'm excited for it. Yeah, and part one's good. It's not as transformative and as profound as part two. And you'll see what I mean when you get around to it. All right, we're going to now shift over to like the more metaphorical and symbolic works. I got just a few more left. This next one is one of my favorite novels of all time. It's called Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. It's dystopian science fiction. But despite being science fiction, I actually think it's pretty realistic in some ways. Again, not as a prediction necessarily of what collapse is going to look like. But one thing I do feel is that no matter what collapse looks like, it's going to affect people disproportionately. And as one might expect, the people who are going to suffer the most are probably those in the marginalized communities, the poor communities, the people of color, 
you know, much more than it will the wealthy and powerful. And these communities in many ways will have to fend for themselves. So despite the fact that there's still a government on the surface anyway, there's still a president, there's still police. As far as these folks are concerned, they might as well not be because they really do just have to kind of struggle for their own survival. And the other thing that I really love about this novel is that it shows something else that isn't talked about enough with respect to collapse, which is the ongoing important role that spirituality, and that can mean whatever you want it to mean. It doesn't have to mean religion necessarily. It's just a system of meaning, like I mentioned earlier, but it shows the important role that spirituality will play for at least some people as a way to emotionally sustain themselves through the horrors of a diminished civilization. Have you guys heard of this novel? Yeah, excellent book. Um, I've read this one and I I can't agree more. The I think it's one of the most, she paints one of the best pictures of kind of what I view the future to be like around, like you said, this idea that there, there's still a, a, at the very core, there's this sort of functioning society in the background as far as there's still elections and a president and corporations, um, but it's just turned into an absolute nightmare for the majority of people. And, um, and very apt what you said as well about spirituality. And then I'd add also the, the component about community and the importance of being able to stick together and, and trust uh, each other, I think is something that book points out really well. Absolutely. Community for sure. Okay. So I haven't really touched upon resource scarcity yet. So for my next pick, I'll say Dune because of the evocative way it portrays resource scarcity and how, when there is a scarcity of an important resource such as spice, AKA oil, you'll have powerful factions vying for control over that resource. And once again, regular people getting caught in the middle. And there's also obvious allusions to water scarcity, which I think is actually going to be one of the big issues, water scarcity. Now I'm pretty sure, Kellen, okay, here's your chance, here's your chance to hit a home run. I'm pretty sure you must have seen at least one of the Dune adaptations, or perhaps you've read the book. So yeah, this this one's really interesting. I haven't seen the latest adaptation, but I'm really excited for it. My oldest brother growing up, he was really into Dune. I remember him, I think there's a whole series of books. Am, am I wrong on that? You're not wrong. There's indeed a whole series of books, yeah. Yeah, so he would always be reading these books and telling us about it and so uh when you talk about the spice uh, things like that it, it brings up all these memories of discussions that we had uh and and so i've heard really good things about the most recent film i'm excited to see that one yeah i'm i'm waiting for it to come out on netflix or something i'm a kind of a cheapo i should see it in theaters but i've just been i've just been waiting for it to come out all right this next one you guys have both seen this it's not my final pick. There's one more after this, but I would be amiss in my duties if I didn't give props to Don't Look Up, which is written and directed by the same guy who brought us the big short, Adam McKay. And I got to say, if Adam McKay keeps this up, he is going to be the defining collapse filmmaker of our time. And if there isn't such a thing as a collapse filmmaker, well, then the three of us here today just made it up. Collapse filmmaker. Uh, Adam McKay, you are it. <laughs> All right, guys. So what's your verdict for Don't Look Up? Yeah, so we've, uh, we did our own little review of Don't Look Up um, recently on, I, th I think it's the episode that just came out this week. Um, and I mean, for me, I just, yeah, I love Don't Look Up. I, it definitely just felt so vindicating. I, I won't talk too much about it because we did talk about it extensively in this one that's coming out, but um, in that, we talked about how Kellen hadn't yet seen it, and I made fun of him for it. I'll let him answer whether or not he's watched it yet. <laughs> oh, man. I've not seen it yet. And we've we've done a bonus episode all about it where Corey told me about it, and we had a discussion. We brought it up in our last regular episode. Uh, so I've heard a lot of things about it, but I have not watched it. No worries. You got one more chance here. You got one more chance. <laughs> With this last one, I kind of wanted to end on a positive, hopeful note. And so the work is Foundation, which is a TV series on Apple TV, and it's based on the book series by Isaac Asimov. What I love about this, first of all, is that it's kind of like Don't Look Up in the sense that you, you got this academic professor 
who tries to warn society of impending collapse and they just ignore him. But where the hopeful part comes in is that the foundation in the title, it refers to a group of people who are brought together to essentially study collapse and prepare for it, to delay it maybe, to cushion the fall perhaps, and above all, to be able to build a post-collapse society. And this inspires my hope that by engaging in collapse activism, by trying to spread enough collapse awareness, we can at the very least help communities become more aware and resilient for whatever it is that may come. Because again, we don't know. If we manage to, let's just say somehow prevent deeper collapse, then there's still nothing wasted even if we put in significant time and effort into these efforts. Because to be resilient means to be able to bounce back faster and stronger from things that will always happen no matter what, such as natural disasters, right? Which are related to, to climate change. But even if somehow miraculously we were just reach net zero overnight and do all these magical things with sustainable energy sources and all this kind of stuff, like everything we just do overnight, well, certain tipping points have already been passed. Natural disasters are still going to be freaked up and on steroids for some time to come. They are still going to happen. We still need to be prepared and resilient. And as well as other kinds of societal disruptions, such as pandemics, <laughs> as we're going through, or war, or political turbulence, or whatever else may come our way. So um, I think I, I got a failing grade from this, and at least I didn't have zero out of 10. I can say that much. <laughs> hey, I listened to Daniel's podcast episode on foundation, so that's got to count for something. We'll, we'll give you a, a half yes. point. <laughs> and, and Daniel, your um, your episode on foundation was really good and it did get me really intrigued to watch it and and i think kel and i both have a healthy list now we can't ever say that we're bored because we definitely have um some works of fiction to to check out thanks to you yeah i hope you enjoyed that i know that you know for the listeners out there there are so many other potential works that could have been included for various reasons you know again this was just kind of like a playlist i did focus on more realistic works that show collapse happening now or that has been happening in different ways so um but i do know that if you haven't seen any of these or if you haven't played that game or if you haven't read that book and you check it out i do know that you're not going to regret it because these this is quality stuff that's awesome thank you for giving us that list it it's fun to hear that there are so many quality works of fiction uh, that can help us better understand collapse. You know, just to redeem myself a little bit, I I really love Christopher Nolan movies. Uh, you think about Prestige and Inception, Dunkirk, but some of them, like Tenet, one of, at least one of the Batman movies, you could say all three, Interstellar, those very heavily tie in these ideas of major threats to human society. And so it's got my mind going and I'm thinking about all these different books and movies that really do re relate to collapse. And I can see the benefits that you've talked about in uh, being able to relate to these stories and be inspired by them and, and gain meaning and understanding. So this is for me been a very valuable conversation. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it too. And yeah, I got to say, actually, Christopher, Nol Christopher Nolan is an interesting mention because, yeah, a tenet is all about generational war, which we see going on now with respect to collapse. You see like younger generations angry at the boomers, for example, at not doing enough, at turning their some, you know, turning away from the evidence that was before them or or presented to them by various scholars. And yes, the Dark Knight trilogy is also in certain ways about collapse, maybe particularly the second one, I think, um, and just getting into certain kinds of philosophical ideas about the nature of human nature. And of course, just generally speaking about the relation of crime to societal breakdown and collapse. 
Daniel, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I'm sure that our listeners have as well. If you've enjoyed hearing uh, what Daniel has to say and you'd like to learn more, you can find him at This Is The End, Pop Culture and Collapse is the name of his podcast, as well as popmythology.com. Thank you so much, Daniel. We appreciate you being here. It's been an honor, guys, and a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.